0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Father, that your word is living and active and a sharp two-edged sword. Thank you it does pierce down to the very depths of our souls. So we pray today as we hear the living word, you will do your work in our hearts, uh, deepen our love for Jesus, and embolden. we pray our witness for him, for his glory's sake. Amen. I'm not sure if you've heard of a man called Pen Gillette. He's one half of a magic performing duo called Pen and Teller. And I'd never heard of him. He's also quite an advocate for atheism, which makes this story all the more remarkable. He tells one card of performing one time of performing a, a, a magic show, uh, and at the end a man came up to him uh, to compliment him and say how much he enjoyed the show. In fact, the man had played a part from the audience in the in the show, and the man said, "I brought this for you," and he gave him a little pocket New Testament and Psalms, and the guy said, "I wrote in the front of it, and I want you to have it." And Gillette said the man was a businessman and he wasn't crazy. And Gillette was actually moved by the man's gesture and he watched all this on video. He He later said this, he was kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me then gave me this Bible. I've always said I don't respect people who don't evangelize or proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would be socially awkward, he said, this is the atheist speaking. How much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize. How much you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He then gives this illustration. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point when I tackle you and this is more important than that isn't that stunning an atheist he said this guy was a really good guy he was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to evangelize and give me a bible now jesus is still an atheist but he said he was a very 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 good man I think it's quite sobering that an atheist can understand the urgency of telling people about Jesus, frankly, more than some Christians. And we see that this morning. That We see today that, uh, that witnessing evangelism is part, part of our DNA as the church. We've just recited the creed, haven't we? Which we do in my church every week, like you. What we believe as Christians. I believe in God the Father. What about Him? Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus, God's Son. What about Him? Well, conceived, given birth, suffered, died, buried, rose again, ascended, sits, coming back. I believe in the Holy Spirit. What do we believe about Him? Nothing in the creed. Something about God, the Father, and the Son, but nothing about the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying let's change the creed after 2,000 years, not a good idea as a rule, but if, if you were to say one thing, you could say many, about the work of the Spirit, I might say this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, who empowers God's people to witness to Jesus. That's a very important work of the Spirit. And we see that today, and that theme unites, I think, the, the chapter 1 of Acts, and indeed beyond that. Now, uh, Andrew asked me to speak today on Acts chapter 1, which is a very, very long chapter, isn't it? I came to Singapore some years ago, and I went out one night with some friends. They took me out for a, a degustation. Now, have you, you've had a degustation, there, um, it's, it is probably the most amazing meal in my life. About 11, 12 courses, though we did end with durian, which I thought rather <laughs> spoiled it. But still, uh, <laughs> an 11 course, now not, not a full course, just tasters. Well, Andrew wants me to give you, to give you today a biblical degustation. But I've chosen not to. I hope you don't mind, Andrew. I'm going to give you an entree and a three-course meal. Okay? That is, just look at Acts 1 to 11. The introduction and the three things Luke tells us about in the first 11 verses. Okay, so the introduction. Luke begins by telling us, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So this is volume 2, of a two-volume work. Volume one, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume two, all that Jesus continued to do and to teach. Only this time from heaven, by his Spirit through the apostles. So it's not like volume one is about Jesus and volume two about the church. They're both about Jesus. It's like someone should write Maybe they have. A two-volume work on Lee Kuan Yew. See, I've done my homework, haven't I? Coming to Singapore. I've done my research. Volume 1, from the birth of Lee Kuan Kuan Yew to independence in 1965. Am I right? Good. Then Volume 2, from the time he governed Singapore until his death. So two volumes. The same man but in two stages of his life. Right? That's what Luke Acts is. Two volumes about the one man really, but in the two stages of his life. One on earth, building the kingdom. One from heaven, building the kingdom. That's the introduction. And now we have the three things Luke tells us about at the beginning of Acts. The first is verses 3 to 5. He gives a summary of Jesus' teaching to the disciples. For forty days, almost six weeks, he teaches about the kingdom of God, the lordship of Christ, then gives a command, verse four. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Now these men are all Galileans, so it makes sense for them, when our Lord has ascended, to go back home, back to Galilee. But now he says, stay in Jerusalem because for a little while longer, Jerusalem will be important. The prophet Joel said, And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, for on Mount Zion and Jerusalem there will be deliverance. Salvation is coming, said Joel, and it will all take place in Jerusalem. It's the centre, so for a thousand years, the centre of Jewish life and worship. It's the place where the Messiah died and rose again. And from Jerusalem, the gospel will go out to the ends of the earth. For a while, it's important. In a while, it won't be important. Rose spoke yesterday from Galatians. And Paul makes the point, which is striking, once Paul became a believer, once in the first 17 years, he went to Jerusalem. It was no longer important for Paul. In 70 AD, it's destroyed. And today, it's really just a tourist destination for Christians. That's all it is. It's importance is finished. But back then, it was still important. It had one more important role to play in salvation. Because in Jerusalem, the Spirit will come upon the disciples, they'll be baptized, immersed, overwhelmed with the Spirit, and from there go out and bring forgiveness to the ends of the earth. To stay and wait. Next, verses 6 to 8. Let me read it again. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the command to stay prompts from the disciples a question and it seems to us a rather strange question, isn't it? Is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Now imagine maybe you have a daughter, and your daughter begins university, and you say to her, Carol, when you graduate, I'll buy you a new car. So four years later, Carol graduates. So he asks you quite appropriately, well dad, is this the week I get the car? You promised four years ago, you promised a car, I've graduated, is this the week I get the car? A a proper question. Well, God had promised something years before. Isaiah 49, verse 6. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I have kept? I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God had promised, when Messiah, when God's heaven comes, I will do two things. One, I'll restore Israel. I'll bring, bring back all the scattered Jews back to their nation to live under their one king, their true king, their Messiah. I'll do that. And secondly, when that's done... I'll take salvation to the ends of the earth. There's the two things I'll do, said God. That's his promise. And God keeps his promises. So Messiah's come. So they ask the Lord, like your daughter asked you after uni, you promised dad a new car, you promised Israel's restoration, when's it happening? Good question. And the Lord doesn't rebuke them for it. He simply says, that's not for you to know. God has set the time, the when and the how. But there's God's timetable. Two things will happen. Israel restored. Salvation goes to the ends of the earth. Now let's just fast forward to Acts chapter 15. And the council of Jerusalem. A very important gathering of Jewish leaders back then. About 20 years after this event. Now, you know the story that there's Paul and Barnabas who've been taking salvation to the earth, seen Gentiles saved, but here's the thing, not making them become Jews. That's caused a problem back home in Jerusalem. Big debate. Hang on. Shouldn't they be circumcised? Shouldn't they keep the law? Big debate. So they have a big conference in Jerusalem to settle the whole thing. They have a big discussion. And they decide together That Gentiles only need to put their faith in Christ. Don't need to be Jews. That's the decision, thank God. Then James, the leader, gives a speech. And James says this, They just discussed how salvation has gone to the ends of the earth. Then James quotes Amos. After this, this is God speaking through Amos, After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Like Isaiah, when Messiah comes, I'll restore Israel. I'll rebuild her fallen tent. Then Amos goes on, that the rest of mankind, they seek the Lord. You see, the same as Isaiah. Two things will happen. Rebuild Israel, save the Gentiles. Just like Isaiah. So James is saying this. We've witnessed two things in the past 20 years. We've seen salvation go to the end of the earth as God promised. And we've seen, he says, implicitly, we've seen the restoration of Israel. Which makes the question, well, how did that happen? Did the Jews all come back to Jerusalem? And did Zion become the centre of the world? How did that happen? Next week, I think you'll look at Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost. When the Spirit comes down in power. And Peter preaches. And who's there in the audience? Jews, says Luke, from, well, there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Jews from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Jews from all over the world, the scattered Jews, they've come back to Jerusalem, they've heard Peter preach about Christ, their Lord and King who's risen from the dead, they've believed, there's the Jews gathered together around their, around their true King Jesus, there's Israel being restored, not physically, but spiritually. As as Jews turn to Christ, You saw there the spiritual restoration of Israel. It's taken place and it began at Pentecost. God kept his promise. Two things will happen when Messiah comes. Israel restored around their true King Jesus and salvation to the ends of the earth. So next words, verse 9. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem all Judea and to the ends of the earth. Israel restored, salvation goes out. Now, let me say two things about that for us today. First, how this does not apply to us. And secondly, how it does apply to us. First, these words apply specially and specifically to the apostles, to the twelve. They will take salvation to the ends of the earth. And we know from church history that they probably did. Peter went to Rome. Thomas likely went to India. As did Bartholomew, who also went to Armenia and southern Arabia. Andrew probably went to Russia. Philip may have gone to Ethiopia. Matthew to Ethiopia, sorry, Philip to North Africa. Simon to Persia. Matthias to Syria. They went and in all these places they were witnesses. They gave first-hand testimony to what they saw and heard. We can't do that. We can't be witnesses like them. About two months ago, on January 20th this year, in my city of Melbourne, on a Friday afternoon, on Burke Street, a man drove his car, do you remember this? A man drove his car, like that man the other day in Westminster, drove his car down the pavement, deliberately running down people. He killed six people, including a small few months old baby, into 20 others a man called Mohammed Minhad was there and saw the whole thing. He said he saw three people hit by a car while he was waiting on the corner of Burke Street and Queen Street. He said, and I quote, I saw a red car coming from the sidewalk hitting people. He was just driving. He didn't stop for anyone. The people were flying, he said. I think in a couple of months time Mohammed bin Had will go to court and give testimony because he was a first-hand witness to that awful event. I live just a few streets away from Burke Street on King Street. I followed the whole thing online. I I just followed it a a bit later. I saw the video. I saw the interviews with people. I won't be going to court. I won't be giving testimony because I wasn't there. I didn't see it happen. All I have is second-hand news. And that's us. We are not like the disciples. We weren't there on the mountain to hear that amazing sermon. We didn't see him raise Jairus' daughter. We didn't see him walk on water or calm a storm. We didn't see him crucified or rise from the dead We didn't see him ascended. We we can't give first-hand testimony. We can't be like them eyewitnesses. To those words, you will be my witnesses, apply particularly to the disciples. But in a secondary sense, a derivative sense, they do apply to us. I just told you about that man in the red car who killed six people. I, I read about it. I saw the video. I've spoken to folk who were there. I I can tell you about it. And that's what we do. We tell our friends about what the the reports in the Bible. What we've read and heard. That's what we do with Jesus. We talk about his teaching, his transfiguration, his resurrection. Second hand. But we too have received power from above. The same spirit who empowered the disciples to testify dwells in us. My father became a Christian in his forties. I became a king Christian at university and then by God's grace my sister became a Christian then my mother and my father. He joined a local church of Christ and for three or four years grew as a Christian. He went to Bible study, began to read the Bible in church. But sadly, after four years, that church began to implode. There's rivalry between the elders, and fighting, and abuse, and my father saw the very men who led him to Christ, abusing each other, calling each other liars. And the church fell apart, and has never recovered even 40 years later. And dad left that church a shattered Christian. He joined another church, and for 20 years, my father just warmed a pew, and that's all. And I've got to say, I, I began to doubt his salvation. I, I thought, how can you just warm a pew, just do nothing, bear no fruit for 20 years? By that time, I was working in Pakistan. We began to get letters from friends at home who said things like, wait till you see your dad. Your dad's changed. So I came home one fellow and went to see my parents and my dad said, come son, I want to talk to you. He told me this story. He was retired, he was sitting at home one day, my mother was out shopping, sitting in a chair and just as men do when they're retired, I guess just thinking about life. And dad prayed a prayer. Dad just said to God, give me the Holy Spirit. And dad's words were <laughs> junk. That's triple Z H U double N double K. God in a gracious way touched my father. So that tangibly he knew he'd been renewed in his spirit. It had, it had a, my father was an electrician, a tradesman, left school at 15. But when God, by his grace, filled him again with the spirit, dad began at 65 or 66, he began to preach. He'd go to churches or, or retirement villages, give short Bible talks, just tell people, what God had done to him, he began to testify to Jesus. It was lovely, just wonderful for me, just to see that was wonderful. And it seems to me, friends, that's what the Spirit does. That's what we're all different. But I think when the, when the Spirit comes upon us, he empowers us to testify. That doesn't mean we get up like my father and give talks, that would scare some of us to death. But we are empowered, I think, to tell people about Jesus, often just one-to-one, in conversation. Maybe through a letter, maybe through a song. But the Spirit empowers us, that's his great work, to bring testimony to Jesus. They did it then, they do it now. That's the second course of our three-course meal. Stay and wait. Receive power. Then verses 9 to 11, the ascension. After this, verse 9, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. Our Lord has finished his teaching. It's now time for him to return to his father and to continue the work of building his kingdom. But only now he'll do it from his throne room from, if you like, the control room of the world. I think it's a bit like a a US president who spends a couple of years on the campaign trail building a movement, preaching a message, right? Uh, What's Barack Obama's message? Yes, we can. What was Hillary's? Stronger together. And we all know Donald's, don't we? (laughs) Make America, great again. So for two years, they proclaim their message and people come on board and believe it. Then finally, they are elected and the work is over. No. The work has just begun. Then the president ascends, as it were, he ascends to the White House. He ascends with a round of his cabinet. He ascends to his Oval Office and from there, builds his work. From there he keeps his promises and makes, in his case I guess, tries to make America great again. He begins the work he promised to do on the campaign trail. That's kind of what happens here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm building a kingdom. And now he's ascended to, as it were, his white house, his oval office. And from there, Jesus now builds the kingdom he promised to build here on earth. And we're part of that. The great work of the ascension. And he's coming again as he left. As Revelation says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Stay and wait. Receive power to witness. The ascended Jesus rules from heaven. What a great passage, isn't it? Let me say two things first as I wind up and apply this for our lives. Number one is this. Don't forget who's in control. I'm not sure if anyone here works for uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers. Um, I, I looked them up this week, PwC. They have almost a quarter of a million employees. Anybody here work for PwC? No, they have about a quarter of a million employees worldwide, a quarter of a million, in 157 countries, in almost 800 locations, including, of course, Singapore. If you work in the Singapore office, it's quite likely you've never met or will ever meet your CEO. His name is Dennis M. Nally. He rules PwC from the boardroom in London. You'll never meet him, but he rules your company. You have a great team here at Bethany Trinity with Andrew and Andrew and Y. Great team. Is that right? Did they get the names right? I just call them Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. They keep, they keep it simple. A great team who strategize, <laughs> but of course, they don't run this church. The one you can't see runs this church. Don't forget that. Because you can't see him doesn't mean he isn't in control and running things in this church and across Singapore and across the world building his kingdom. He's the one in control. And number two. We've been baptized with power in order to bear witness. Luke doesn't say, or Jesus doesn't say, when the Spirit comes upon you you, you'll, you'll convert many. Or you'll plant many churches. Or build up many in the faith. No, you're given, that, that may happen, but we are given power to testify. To bear witness to Jesus. That's, that's our DNA, my dear brothers and sisters. That's our DNA. Baptised by the Spirit. Empowered by the Spirit to give witness to what we've read, how God's touched our hearts, how God has forgiven our sins and given us the great hope of eternal life. What a a privilege. My dear friends, you don't, you don't have to be witnesses. You get to be witnesses get to be witnesses of our wonderful Lord and Saviour. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this reliable record of your servant Luke who researched so thoroughly all the evidence. He spoke to eyewitnesses. We have this reliable record of what Jesus began to do and teach and what indeed he does now from his throne in heaven. So thank you, we can have confidence in your word and the testimony of the apostles. But thank you too that this same spirit has filled us and changed us and empowered us and given us the same desire to make him known. So I pray for us again, I pray for me and all here this morning, that we might again be filled with your spirit, emboldened, in ways that are true and appropriate and wise, emboldened to make him known to family, friends, those around us who know nothing of forgiveness, who have the truck bearing down on them, facing eternity in hell. Please empower us to bring to them the good news of sin's forgiveness an eternal life we pray this for their salvation and for the glory of Jesus amen thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church for more information visit us online at bpc.org